0: to the Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Dave Burles Berlin. Say what? What's up, Doc? Ready for another show? Woo, woo! Headlong into another COVID nineteen week, but Dave. So true. I've got big news aside from COVID stuff. You know Thank what the goodness. big? You know what the big news is? Sports are back. Now, now. No. Come on, Dave. I got bigger bigger fish to fry here, all right? That's right. I think we need to join the clubhouse. Huh?
1: The clubhouse?
0: That's right. Have you heard of the clubhouse, Dave?
1: No, I'm trying to think of what that could be.
0: Okay, well, let me take a step back. Have you heard... Of the
1: Hype House. Hmm. The Hype House.
0: That's right, the Hype House. The Hype House
1: house and the Hype House. Have you heard of the Hype Um, House?
0: No. Okay, well, it's a group of young folks. Uh, Mm -hmm. These young folks lived in an amazing mansion in L.A. Mm -hmm. And this was where all the dope (laughs) social media influencers came together and made lit contact for their... Flop social media, Word. especially TikTok, Dave. It it was hitting different. Yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. You have <laughs> no idea, my friend. No idea. So uh, the main two was this a uh, show? No, no. Well, they just all did their own social media, but their their creative genius came together in this house, Dave. Wow. And the dances mm. they made. Oh! Wait, what? So amazing. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, Dave. Uh the two most creative en- entities here were Daisy Keach and Chase Hudson. Chase Hudson, aka Little Huddy. So you know how dope.
1: I don't you know, know how any dope of those people. <laughs> well But little well, Huddy's gotta be the dopest of Dopest. The dope.
0: dope, yes. Well, apparently, Dave, there was some dissension. In the hype house. Wait, what? Yeah. And Daisy got into a little Yeah. Got into it a little, a little bit tiff. with Little Huddy. Tiff? Yeah, little Tiff. Little Tiff. They're actually Daisy is suing little Huddy now. Oh wow. Yes. That's a fact. Yes. And Daisy started a new house. She started Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yes! Clubhouse.
1: Okay. That's right, Dave. And this, this is all in LA, you said? This
0: is all in LA, but I mean, of Dave, course. let me just let me just say me and Daisy, we're basically two peas in a pod, my friend. That's a fact. Let me oh, le- she's le- got
1: a lot of hair too on her well, face. Well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> let, let me explain the similarities. She's first of all a 20 year old TikTok star, basically me, right? That's a fact. Instagram That's... model, basically Definitely me. Definitely you. That's a fact. Fitness influencer, basically me. That's a fact. That That's had a podcast. that had her a- certified uh, as real by a plastic uh, surgeon. Basically me. Am I right? Yeah. Nope. I mean, look Spot at my donk It's pretty amazing. Okay? Ew. Jeez. I mean, come on. If I didn't tell you that was her CV before saying it, you would have been like, well, that's basically Ben right there. So true. That's him.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean,
0: it's pretty much what we have for the bio of our show. Instagram models that are fitness influencers. That's pretty much what we are.
1: Yeah, um, we should just change the website description. That's a fact.
0: So, so let me uh, let me describe the house now. Uh, okay. Okay. So the house here, it's in a secret location, in Mm. Beverly Hills. Okay. Sweet. So first off, uh, we're gonna have to uh, get used to an area not nearly as classy as Jacksonville. Obviously, right? I mean. So true. But I think we can adjust, Dave. It's fine. Uh, So the entrance to the house has large lion statues on each side. Um, Nice. Which, if you didn't know, Dave, is perfect, because Daisy's sign is Leo. So, obviously, the house was meant for her. That's what she told me in the explanation of the the video of the house. So, I got all the deets. Don't worry. Um, I got to say, then there's a real interesting turn once she goes into the house with the tour. Because then she goes into one of the living rooms... And it's like, you know, this whole house is, like, super modern, you know? It mm-hmm. looks like it's from the space future, and there's all these great windows and, like, white concrete and everything, you know? And, right. <laughs> you know, and then they go into this living room, and there's a giant mural of George Washington. What? And she's just like, she's like, this is a dope painting of George Washington. Hmm. I'm just like, what? So, obviously, you know what that means, Dave. Daisy's a huge fan of Hot Takes of History.
1: Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I see it now. Okay. I can
0: see me and Daisy talking deep into the night about whether George Washington was influenced by Alexander Hamilton or whether he was placating him through most of his two terms as president. I can see that happening between me and Daisy. You can see it. Anyways, after showing the sweet George Washington painting, she goes on to the elevator. That's right, Dave. Oh, the elevator. How did you? In a, this was on YouTube. Yeah, in a in a two-story house. Because you know, legs. When you're a fitness influencer, am I right? So true. It's the only way to go. I mean, <laughs> use stairs. It's <laughs> <laughs> just dumb. Why would you do that, Dave? Dumb. Uh, so it's pretty obvious, am I right, that this house, uh, is for motivated, young, hip people that are into making fly content for their socials. And, I mean, me and you, Dave, we get mistaken for a couple of high schoolers every time we're looking for a good house party to go to. Am I right? Yes! That's am I right? true. Every once in a while, man. Nope. So here's what I'm thinking, Dave. Me, you, Angelina Aurora, that's the girl that invented plastic from shrimp and had her own TED Talks. Yes! I'm thinking. Oh,
1: okay. okay. All great. three
0: of us, we head over to the clubhouse, give them our CVs and application, and they'll they'll take us. Cause I mean, obviously, they don't better even th- know
1: what a CV is.
0: No, no, <laughs> they know. And when they see ours, because I mean, basically, it's gonna be full, chock full of hot dance moves while we're making plastic from shrimp. Yes! Am I right? There you go.
1: There you Am go. I right? <laughs> How can and they I'm, say no to that? They can't. That's a fact. I
0: mean, and, and here, I, mean I, don't, I don't need to say this, Dave, but here's just a little something else. This Daisy Keech character, she's been mm-hmm. hanging out with Brody Jenner. I'm younger oh, than that dude. That's right.
1: Barely, but <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> no, uh, Not barely. It's by a couple <laughs> years, Dave. All right? <laughs> okay? I'm super young compared to that dude. All right? That's a fact. Jeez. Ah, I mean, I need to be... We need to be in the clubhouse, Dave, making fly content, round the clock, fly content.
1: In the Could meantime- you imagine what this hmm? show would be like with all that fly- oh,
0: Yeah, I know, right? Well, goodness. in the meantime, while we're getting the whole clubhouse thing settled, do you want to make some fly can- content of our own on this show?
1: Let's do it, man. Let's fire it up.
0: All three engines up and burning. Two,
1: one, zero, and lift
0: off. Woo! Woo, Dave, we have the terrific, the talented, the lovely Miss Lori Lieberman on the show today. That's right. Nice. Yeah, we're going to talk careers, uh, career ups, career downs. We're going to talk kids. I think I told you, but you know one of her sons, assistant coach for the Sacramento Kings. Hmm. Yeah?
1: Oh, do I?
0: Yeah, I, did, I didn't you? know if you knew. Oh. I thought I told you that. Did I tell you that?
1: No. That's a fact.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one of her sons. Assistant coach, nice. Sacramento Kings. You, you know, who, You know who secretly got excited and he doesn't know why? Claude. So true. All of a sudden he's just like, what?
1: He's Wait, like, Sacramento why, Kings basketball.
0: Why am I so jazzed right now? I don't know. But first, we got to start where we start. Birthday suit. All right.
2: Happy birthday, Mr. President.
0: Dave, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I don't know if it's you'll get any one. of these. Damn, um, it's one of those. Yeah, one it's those one, of those month, days, one of those days. One of those days, man. All, Jeez. all of them. It's, it's gonna be a stretch. Like I looked for, like I looked for basketball. I looked for football. I looked for some kind of sport content or super famous. Couldn't find anything. Nope. Couldn't find anything. So here we go. So Wasn't meant to be. Uh, well, here, here's. Uh, I will say. Uh, I, I think this is a pretty well known fact, but the husband. Of the uh, first birthday suit where played football at uh, Michigan. So, okay. There you go. Anyways, Giselle. Born on Say, what? April- no, no, hey, guess <laughs> Tom Brady. Uh, obviously, we'd have a big shout out for him if it was his birthday. Come on. Um, oh, no, it's Giselle's birthday. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Not God, I'm dumb. Anyways, born on April 8, 1918, in Chicago, Illinois. Her family moved for a short while to Colorado and then to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where she grew up and graduated from high school. After school, being an accomplished dancer, she continued to study at the Bennington School of Dance in Vermont. Mm. She ended up dancing in uh, New York City and danced at Carnegie Hall. Uh, after several years, she moved back to Grand Rapids, and in 1942, she married William G. Warren. That's not the football player. Nope. Um, oh, okay, I'm like, However, huh. <laughs> <laughs> However, they were only married for five years. After that, they divorced in 1947. She married Gerald Ford, a lawyer and a World War II veteran in 1948. Two had four children together. In 1973, her husband was appointed vice president after Spiro Agnew resigned. And in 1974, after Richard Nixon resigned, he became president of the United States. Hmm. Her birthday suit wear became first lady where she was known for being part of the women's movement in the 1970s, supporting pro-abortion rights, and she became, uh, she was named Woman of the Year in 1975. That's right. In 1978, her family staged an intervention, however, and forced her to confront her abuse problems regarding alcohol and pills. Yeah. As Jeez. a result, she made a rehabilitation clinic in 1982 with her name. That's a fact. Uh, for treatment of c- chemical dependency. Sadly, our birthday uh, suit wearer died in 2001 at the age of 93, but her clinic lives on. Name that birthday suit wearer.
1: Hmm. Dang it. Um, Ford's her last name.
0: That's correct.
1: You got that. Margaret Margaret Ford. Mm, that's a good
0: guess. That's a good guess. Betty. Betty Ford Clinic. I know you've heard of the Betty, Betty Ford Clinic. Never. I know you've heard of it. Uh, never? Word. Oh, man. Where is that it? Is, Where is that, it? It's in, uh, it's in Los Angeles. Well, I don't know if it's in Los Angeles. It's in California. It's close to LA. So true. It's... Oh, nah. It's where a lot of the stars have gone to seek treatment for their abuse of either alcohol or other substances. Yes! It's very it's very popular with the stars and very a very good number of stars have successfully treated their issues at the Betty Ford Clinic. Yes! And Betty Ford was the woman of the year in 1975. Fantastic. Dang. Betty Happy Ford, birthday, Betty she would have been a hundred and two. Jeez, geez, had she lived to—I mean, she she did live to the age of ninety-three. So pretty impressive, regardless. But there you Very go, true. Betty, Betty Ford in the in the in the annals of. Of uh, first ladies, there, Dave. A little bit to put down on your info there. Not a lesbian to know. She was not a lesbian. Nope. So she is not one of those to put in that. It, don't put her in with Rachel Maddow and and Megan Rapinoe. Not in that category. I was Say, I,
1: there's a there's a list of those first ladies. Yeah, there's not a first ladies.
0: I don't know any of them that were that were outwardly lesbian. No, um, maybe some that were closeted, Jeez. but not outwardly. Anyways, we have derailed. <laughs> Happy birthday to Betty Ford. Dave, are you ready to rip some headlines?
1: Let's rip it, ma'am.
0: It's now time for rip from the headlines. Okay, Dave, uh, our first story comes from TMZ Sports. Sweet. So, as you mentioned, it's been rough times
1: for athletes, am I right? Yeah. But... Having to give paychecks back and stuff poor them.
0: But it's also been some tough time for announcers,
1: you know? Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, well, any sports
0: team employee... Yeah. And and I've noticed and, and a lot of people notice these guys, they're 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 now starting to announce everyday things. ESPN released a video of like Mike Greenberg or Mike uh, uh yeah uh and, and Seth Greenberg and uh, just a whole bunch of their commentators uh mm. commentating on normal things. What?
1: you know oh, that's funny. Yeah that's funny.
0: Well, do you know Joe Buck? Who's from Fox Sports? Yeah, Joe I, know, Buck. I know Joe Buck. Yeah, yeah, Joe Buck. He uh, he does a lot of different things. He does uh, football, basketball, baseball. Uh, does a lot of play-by-play action. And he decided yep. that he would jump in on this too. And so he decided that fans would pay to submit videos for him to do play-by-play announcement uh, uh, analysis. But the money would go to charity, right? So oh, he nice. would do. So he would he would you know whatever they wanted and he would pick out of the ones that were submitted the ones that he thought were the best and then commentate them. And so far okay. he has done a, a dude making chicken wings. He commentated that one. So uh, this is he, on
1: like Facebook or on Instagram or something.
0: I think on Facebook and YouTube both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a couple of uh, a dart athletes, so some folks playing darts. He commented, and then nice. some, uh, some also some kids playing sports. Obviously, he did that. Uh, well, last week Joe was on KMOX. Uh, radio, and he said, mm-hmm. "I've had a couple submissions from, let's say, a man and a woman Word. that just oh. didn't seem appropriate to put my voice to in this stage of life. Ew. Maybe, oh maybe later gosh. in life, but not now. So apparently, <laughs> what is that? Exactly. So apparently, people have been sending Joe Buck sex tapes." To play by play, Dave. Ew. Um, no. <laughs> so two let's 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 do the first, which you said. What does that mean? Like hmm. what is Joe Buck saying? So later in Once life he's
1: the old creepy guy he's okay exactly.
0: with it. <laughs> Exactly. Why would it make it better if some like seventy year old dude's narrating sex tapes? Like, yeah, <laughs> this is looking nice. Like, that's even creepier. Good for- Great like, it's <laughs> weird. And then, who, who are these ladies and, and man friends that are sitting around, like, you know what would be awesome? If we had a pornography narrated by Joe Buck. Am I right? Why wouldn't that what an anniversary be Anniversary present. Like, that's, and then what are you gonna do? Are you gonna watch it by yourself? Or are you gonna give it to friends and be like, hey, check this out? And they're gonna be like, we don't wanna see that. Look what we did. Keep (laughs) it to yourself, pervs. Like, so weird. (laughs) So bizarre, Dave. Okay, uh, another sports-related topic. Uh, This has got a little bit of COVID, a little bit of sports. So, uh, this one's from USA Today. Dave, you're aware that Coach K of uh, Duke University, Duke? he has a uh, radio show, correct? Did you know this? Oh, no, I
1: didn't. Yeah, I bet he'd be it, good on radio.
0: It's slightly more popular than ours, and it's aggravated. Girl, come on! It's okay. Anyways, it, it's called Coach K's Basketball and Beyond. And I gotta okay. be honest, he does a lot of beyond. He doesn't really talk too much sports on there. I've listened to it a
1: couple of times. That's a fact. Um, okay, people want to see that different side of him, you know?
0: Yeah, well, it's good to know that he's not a robot. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, that, well,
1: there there were some thoughts he could have been. So true.
0: <laughs> still, I still wonder sometimes. Um, yeah. But, anyways, uh, he's he's been talking about the coronavirus. And on mm-hmm. a show, uh, he brought some experts in. And he didn't just bring uh-huh. in, like experts he brought in the expert he brought in anthony fauci Word. who nice. i'm sure listeners are fully aware he's the director of the national institute of allergy and infectious diseases he's the guy that's you know been giving all the information on how to protect yourself at pressers and everything like that and right. so coach k uh, in this interview ask him to break down the coronavirus as a basketball game. Mm. And he was like, so what quarter are we in, Dr. Fauci? And he said, we haven't even reached halftime yet. Jeez. You know? Which, I mean, is a cool breakdown. Thanks, Dr. Fauci. But after I started thinking about it, I was like, don't you have more important people and more reputable media sources to talk to
1: than coach k mm.
0: i mean we're not fighting villanova here it's a virus oh nope. <laughs> all right
1: like well, you know, i've seen fauci on like a lot of random podcast like he was on like a barstool sports podcast Yeah, I well, think.
0: which i exactly <laughs> like i mean come on like no offense to Dude, coach that, k that guy's Bar-
1: net worth has have to have gone up
0: <laughs> and, well, no offense to Coach K or Barstool or anything else, but I think even me and you are more equipped to talk to Fauci than Coach K. Yes! I mean, at least both of us have postgraduate degrees in health-related fields. Girl, come on, right. what Coach what's Coach <laughs> K got? Come on, man. I'm just saying, Fauci needs to get on our show if he's gonna if he's gonna go to random shows. Come on, throw right. us a bone, man. <laughs> Jeez. Anyways. Dave, uh our next story comes from the register. So, uh you've heard uh over the last several years, right, about these uh these issues that Boeing uh planes have had, right? Uh-uh, no. Well, you know the 787 especially. They've had several That's disasters. Like the, the
1: most like 787 is the more um heavily used yeah, like heavily in commercial industry. Yeah, and it, so yeah, climbed, there's been yeah. there's
0: been a lot of disasters and they knew there were some there were some issues with the technology on the plane, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's been mm-hmm. some going back and forth like did the people at uh, Boeing know of these even when they released it and all this stuff, you know? Mhm. Mm-hmm. And so after reviewing all of this information, the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration has come out with orders for any pilots flying the Boeing 787. Mm. So they've reviewed everything, and they had some information. Mm. Um, this is what they said. In the directive, if the aircraft is powered on for more than 51 days, this can lead to display of misleading data. Hmm. Yes. It can give pilots incorrect data, including airspeed, altitude, and engine operating indications. God Which, God. obviously, Dave, that's pretty frightening. That's pretty important. That's you, very frightening. You, you, would, you would like correct airspeed and altitude. That's sort of uh, critical to staying in the air. Um, so, obviously... Uh, we need a solution to this. What's the U.S. Federal Aviation's Administration's
1: solution to this problem? It's After pretty complicated. After 50 days, they, have to, they can't drive it for a, or fly uh, it for a day. That's a fact. It's pretty Every complicated, days, It It's one break. Here's
0: here's what the command was. Turn the aircraft off and then turn it
1: back on. Oh, It's not a freaking Game Boy. <laughs>
0: That's it, man. It's the same technique that your Uncle Jeff uses with the cable box. Oh, man, it's broken again. Turn it off. Blow okay, it worked it. again. Is, just blow, blow it. There it is. Yeah, exactly. We need to make sure this works correctly. Hey, can somebody blow in the gas tank of this uh, 787? <laughs> Thanks. There we go. That's That's what the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration came up with, Dave. Turn it on, turn it off. There you go. Got it. Boom. Done. Solid. Hopefully it works out for him. We're going to cross our fingers on that one, Dave. Um, Oh, man. Okay, Dave. uh, Because of quarantine, a lot of folks have have been turning to Netflix. Am I right? You know? Yeah, dude, they've been killing it. They've been killing it. And uh, especially, you know, uh, a dark horse... Hopped out of uh, of this quarantine, which was Joe Exotic, Tiger, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness. That's a fact. Have you watched any of it yet? I have not.
1: I have not. I'm, I've only watched three episodes, maybe four.
0: Dave, I've I first heard of uh, Joe Exotic actually because of um, uh, John Oliver last week tonight. He was on there <laughs> like four years ago actually a little bit more because you know he ran for president uh even though he didn't get like any votes but he ran for president and he had an ad that was hilarious because he's joe exotic so he ran for
1: president
0: yeah yeah you know because like oh, anybody can officially can they, yeah, run they can't he say
1: they're running yeah
0: he ran and he put out an ad and it was pretty joe exotic like you would think um yeah well, obviously, uh, if you know anything about the series, you know now uh, he's currently serving a 22-year uh, sentence in jail. That's fine. Um, spoiling
1: it for me? Oh, come on, Dave! Nah, come I'm, on, I'm just that's, kidding. I knew that he was going to be in jail. Yeah. That that's out. That's out there. Yeah. Well, anyways, <laughs> from
0: jail last week, he's really been loving this new fame that he's got. Can't really revel in it too much because he's in jail. But from jail, uh, he's been thinking. Who should play him in a movie if a movie were to come out about his life?
1: Word. Oh, my gosh.
0: So, which, I mean, obviously is what you should be thinking about if you're serving a 22-year sentence in jail, right? <laughs> uh, so he let folks know his two options were David Spade or Brad Pitt. Wait, what? Those Dude, his... David
1: Spade would be awesome for Joe Exotic. Well, awesome. which
0: which actually David Spade came out after he said that on his show and said, you know, I don't think I'm right. I don't think I'm right for the part. I actually would say that Woody Harrelson would be the guy to play him. Hmm. And then, because this is so popular right now, Dak Shepard and Edward Norton both volunteered to play Joe Exotic and said, yeah, I'd like to play him. Can I play him? Let me play him (laughs) in the movie. I mean, the main thing, though, here, not to bust Joe's bubble or anything, but Brad Pitt... Nope. Come on, Joe. Yeah, Brad that's Pitt, not,
1: that's not really an option. <laughs>
0: that that's like me hypothesizing a documentary on the Doc G show and being like, "Well, you know, I think Jason Momoa is pretty spot on. He should play me." So true. Sounds pretty. We've got the same muscular build, same sexiness. I think that would be the only <laughs> character to play me am i right come on come on joe exotic lower it a little bit lower the bar just a tad Uh, It's david spade like you said a little bit more spotty there that that one works that one works okay dave uh let's head down to brevard uh county um this that's how we say it right brevard 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 yep yeah, okay. I, I wasn't sure. I was like, you were a little, You were a little, little rigid there saying it. Did it's I go a little too top. hard?
1: Brevard! Yeah. Ah!
0: Yeah, you went really... with the
1: hard R.
0: Yeah, stick it in there <laughs> real hard. Um, Ew! Anyways, this next story is from thecut.com. Uh, Dave, a couple decided that they needed a gender reveal even though the coronavirus was going on. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, you know, these normal, these normal run-of-the-mill uh, gender reveals. Boring! Mm-hmm. They needed to spice it up. So mm-hmm. they decided to get some Tannerite. Have you ever used Tannerite, Tanner. Dave? Not,
1: uh, not that I can think of.
0: I'm not a big uh, gun yielder, uh, and uh, okay, it's, then, it's yeah, the either. explosive
1: targets.
0: They're the ones that will explode when a bullet goes through them. They're fairly stable until the bullet hits them, obviously, and then they explode. Uh, Well, being as it hadn't rained in the general area for several weeks, when they shot this Tannerite, it started a brush fire and caught the woods on fire. Uh, Luckily, unlike the gender reveal three years ago in Arizona, this one only caused ten acres of damage. Apparently, there was one in Arizona that I didn't hear about three years ago that caused Mm -hmm. 47,000 acres of damage from a gender reveal fire. Oh,
1: my gosh. That's awful.
0: I mean, the main thing, though, that I got to ask here is just, why do people want to
1: do gender reveals? I think it's kind of fun. (laughs)
0: I just don't get it, Dave. I mean, you yeah, know. Yeah, but you I'm don't a...
1: like weddings either. Well, like any this is stuff. even
0: worse than a wedding. Right, like, this so that's is... <laughs> why you don't like it. <laughs> this is even worse. Like, I mean, like, I don't care what gender your baby is. Nope. And you blowing up some explosive isn't going to get me more excited about the situation. Nope. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you know what? I didn't give a shit about your baby until I saw blue smoke going up over there. Now, <laughs> woo. That baby is so exciting. Like who? That baby is so blue. <laughs> like why? Why can't you just go to the doctor and they'd be like, "Hey, it's a it's it's a boy." Okay, cool. Like that's it's good enough, right? This is good that's enough. Another reason to have a party. So true. I know, man. People are too too desperate for parties i guess i shouldn't say this during coronavirus quarantining because people are going to be like yeah i'd go to one i'd go one right now are you kidding me they're like literally
1: anything please be so awesome
0: (laughs) anyways dave this next story is uh from abc action news in tampa Mm -hmm. dave what is florida known for around the country Having stupid dudes. That's a fact. Florida man stories, correct. Yep. And what do Florida
1: man stories usually involve? Hmm. Um, drugs. Yeah. Or doing something illegal. Yeah. Um, and then something bad happening to that person.
0: Yeah, yeah. So drugs, guns, sometimes alligators, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Dave, this Florida man story coming up, doesn't include any of those things wow oh well that's <laughs> i'm pretty. just kidding it includes <laughs> it includes all three of them all three oh. of them it hit
1: um so
0: <laughs> seminole county uh the authorities had been tracking a stolen car for some time right Man. and on friday they finally caught up to the car so the deputy was sitting at the side of the road he saw the car pass he ran the plates realized it was the stolen car and they followed said car to a house on Lake Mary hmm. right so the officers went up to the house proceeded to search the house after they uh, arrested the fellows for the car and they found heroin cocaine guns and a baby alligator that was apparently being kept as a pet
3: Ah, oh, jeez. Yes.
0: yes! Dave, why do I get the feeling that these guys were like sitting around in their house like two weeks earlier and they're like, hey, you know what? If we get busted for these car and drugs now, we'll just look like boring, average, run-of-the-mill, whole country thieves. We won't do our state proud. You know what? We should get a baby alligator. So true. That way, if we get caught... We'll do we'll, we'll have Florida credentials, you know? We should probably get a baby alligator. That's a fact. Yeah, let's do it. Like <laughs> why would you have a baby? You do realize those things can grow to 18 feet. What are you going to do with an eighteen foot alligator? Like, you do not 18 have... 18
1: feet. Oh, my
0: god! Yeah. Now, that's insanely big. Most of the yeah, ones... Yeah, that's, in, like,
1: the biggest ones.
0: That's the, mainly in cap, uh, captivity. They grow to, like, 12, you know, is, like, the big, big guys. But, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, even on uh, Swamp People, they'd catch ones that were, like, 15 on a regular basis, 14 on a regular basis. That's a fact. So, I mean, you know, what are you gonna do with that thing? It will eat you in the middle of the night totally eat you no good dave no good dave uh this next story from the scottish sun okay dave i've got some good news despite everything going on coronavirus wise there's still great research going on good to hear good to hear researchers in scotland at the national library of scotland have found the earliest use of the f word in writing word
1: Yes! Oh, wow. Yes!
0: Researchers Writing. found a manuscript written by a student. Um, I'm going to go with George Banatine. Banatine. Uh, in 1568. Jeez. And 1568. Uh, 1568. 432 years ago, or 52 years ago. 452 years ago Wow They found this during a show that was actually being filmed In the National Library And uh, the show host, Cora Bissett, said It may not make a tourist trail But in our National Library We have the first written F word in the world And you know what? I think that's something to be proud of I'd be yes proud indeed. So true. Yes indeed. Good job, Scotland. First F word. Show it off. I mean, 450. That guy was ahead of his time. A trailblazer, uh, George Bannantine. I, I
1: need to know. Can you can we do a follow-up on okay. what, like how it like the origination of the word?
0: I did see the origination and what it was supposed to mean, but I'll come back to you with that. And I do believe It was with two Ks, spelled with two Ks. But they they said that that was still in the original content of the word and what it was meant to be. And eventually it it went along with the rest of the language to a CK. So there you go.
1: Listeners, we're in for a treat next week. There
0: you go. Follow up, follow up. Previously on the Doc G Show. uh, Dave, this next story, last one from Michigan Live. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing you've never seen a bear in the wild. Is that correct?
1: Um, I've seen like a very small black bear up okay. in the Poco- in the Pocono Mountains. Oh, nice, um, nice. But but not not. I mean, in it Florida. was like scary enough to see it and like just be like, okay, I'm gonna keep my distance. Yeah, but I yeah, didn't see don't... like Mama Bear, you know.
0: They don't rumble around too much in Florida. I mean they're they're here, but they they really stay in in the the wild areas. In the deep deep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, back at my parents' home actually in Virginia, you get bears all the time, man. I actually saw two black bears last May.
1: Going yeah. at it.
0: No, they weren't Fighting going at other. it. One of one of them was just he uh me and my dad were walking down the road and he just cruised in front of us on the road. He was like, "Hey, what's up?" Just kept on walking. And then one of them I was out petting my parents cat on the uh, on the porch and all of yep. a sudden the cat you know because obviously animals they're aware all of a sudden it shot up oh, yeah. and just looked around like oh my sweet jesus and ran a, <laughs> ran around the house and I was like what is she doing and then I looked up and was like oh god that's a big bear That's a fact Um and he just cruised yeah. down to the woods he just kept going but anyways right. Dave you can also see bears in Michigan. And uh, okay. here's something to know about bears, Dave. They're fans mm-hmm. of eating stuff. it's like, true. It's like number one on their list of things to do. It's right there beside hibernating and uh, along with lions and tigers making people say, oh, my. That's like their mm-hmm. top three <laughs> things to do. Uh, right. Well, last week, a homeowner in the old Upper Peninsula of Michigan... Yeah, way up there in the hinterlands. Uh, they called a conservation officer to let them know they had a problem with a bear being on their property. Nonstop, mm. just being on their property, right? So the, conversa- uh, the con- uh, conservation officer, not conversation nope. officer. Hey, I'm here to have a conversation with you. Con- uh, a conservation officer went to the house, spoke to the homeowner uh, through the window. The homeowner's yeah. like, I'm not coming out. That that bear is always out there. And the homeowner said that the bear was eating by the back door of the house. So the conservation officer walked around the house and noticed it looked like the homeowner had put food throughout the yard for the bear. Mm. So the conservation yeah. o- officer went back to the homeowner and was like, hey, you put this food out here? And the guy was like, yeah, this bear won't leave me alone <laughs> now. And the conservation (laughs) officer was like, yeah, that's sort of your problem. Bears like food. And if you give them food, they're probably never gonna leave. That's a fact. Right? So the conservation officer then chased the bear off the property. He understood it was probably, it's probably coming back. It's Probably coming back. I I, like, I sort of wonder like, was this homeowner trying to do some kind of like high-minded reverse psychology on the bear? Like, hey bear, I'd love it if you ate this food. And he thought the bear was gonna be like, "No way! You're giving it to me too easy. I'm not gonna eat that." Like, what did he think? Come on, it's What's a bear. Happen? Right. The bear's gonna go bear. He's gonna eat things. That's what he does. That's a fact. That's what he does. All right, Dave. We are gonna take a break. We are gonna hear from our guest of honor, Miss Lori Lieberman. This is her classic, "Killing Me Softly," right here on the
1: Doc G Show. <laughs>
2: And so I came to see him to listen for a while And there he was, this young boy A stranger to my eyes Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words killing me softly with his song telling my whole life with his words killing me softly with his song I felt all flushed with fever embarrassed by I felt he found my letters and read each one out loud. I prayed that he would finish, but he just kept right on.
0: are back here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM
1: in Jacksonville, Florida. Dave. Guys, do us a huge favor. Download the podcast on whatever mm-hmm. app you use. Oh, yeah. I know you're in quarantine, so you're listening to some pods. It's true. That's right. Go give us a five-star rating. Oh. If you're not going to do that, then go... Don't do it. Sleep yourself.
0: What? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, that got that got fierce. I got fierce. Well, I was
1: gonna say like do like the the people in what was it? Swedish? No, they weren't. Scotland. Swedish. Where were they? Don't get Scotland. it twisted. Scotland. I know. The
0: creators know. of the f word and homeland right. of my people, Dave.
1: Mm, yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyways, instead of doing that, you can go to the www. Check out some cool stuff on there. Yeah. A couple of vids. Exactly, exactly. Some some hot content.
0: Good content, lit content for the kids, for the kids. Uh, it
1: hits different as the kids would say Oh
0: it's so different Gets me all in my feelings nope. Is that how we say it? I don't know <laughs> The feels? I don't know I don't
1: know if you want to be in your feelings Is that too? That, bad.
0: That's old anyways <laughs> That's old That's like 2016 is the feelings That's, that's too uh, yeah, I, I've heard geeking a lot The kids are Geekin using geeking again Yeah geeking is back yeah, oh, Geekin it's bad. They think or, they like started it too. That's sad. I don't know, man. It's a recycling. You know, good that's though. True. Good, good true. for Scotland. Finally having something. I mean, like, no offense to their other stuff, but like, you know. I mean, kilts and I'm, and,
1: I'm glad they have the F word.
0: Yeah. Baby. I mean, yeah. that's that's so much better than than kilts. Like, you know. I mean, <laughs> come on.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I mean just Way I better.
0: bagpipes. It kind of cancels eh. out, you know. Yeah bagpipes. Eh. What what's their uh, thistle? Their their state flower is the thistle. What? Like I mean, come on. Now their state word can be the f-word. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of things we need to shout out, let's shout out some places that listen to the Doc G show. Let's do it, man. All right, our regulars, of course. Duval. Jacksonville, thank you for all the listens, guys. Leading the listens almost every week, and we appreciate it. Uh, Columbia, South Carolina, always coming in the top five. You know, maybe not second all the time, but they're there. Yeah,
1: yeah. We still love you.
0: The Highlands, Radford, Virginia. Thank you, guys. Keeping it real up there. Not a lot of people, but keeping the listens coming. I like it. We love it. Gainesville. Right down the way. Keeping the listens. We appreciate it. Uh, Queen City, Dave. Charlotte, North Carolina. Thank you. Thank you. The capital of Ireland, Dublin.
1: Dublin.
0: Actually, I don't think it is. Is it?
1: Uh, I don't know. We'll have to come back and check it now, out. Oh,
0: now I feel dumb. Why did I I have to say that? It probably is. I don't know. Yeah, okay. What else could it be? It's the capital of the Republic of Ireland. Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: You did it. Good job.
0: Oh, god, I got really <laughs> I got really you know just self-conscious right there. I got really worried. Anyways, shout out to Dublin. Thank you guys. Shout uh, out. And Dave, I've decided instead of calling out all these smaller areas of London, we're just going to say mm-hmm. London. Shout out to London. Shout out. They go. they they listen. All all the burbs, all the burbs of London, they're li- they're listening and we appreciate we'll put them it
1: together. Yeah.
0: Barcelona, Spain. Shout out to Barcelona, Genoa, Italy. Shout out to Genoa, Mountain to View, Mountain View, California. Our West Coast connect. Thank you, Mountain View. Uh, Omberg. Omberg, Germany. Keeping it real in Germany. Shout out to those guys. Madison, Tennessee. Shout out to the to the volunteers. Shout out to Charleston, South Carolina. Yes, indeed. Shout out to Maputo, Mozambique. Oh yeah to kenner louisiana right there in the heart of uh, new orleans shout out. shout out to ashburn virginia virginia's for doc g lovers dave yes there
1: you go yes. smooth
0: that was right finally that after right 37 times boom <laughs> yes semi-regulars here we go we've got arcata california shout out to those shout guys out. shout out to the very tip the tip of the west side of Virginia, Bristol. Shout out to Bristol. Nice. Shout out to Miami, Florida. The 305. Shout out to Orlando, Florida. Shout out to Los Angeles, California. And Kansas City, Missouri. And lastly, Denver, Colorado. There we go,
1: mile high. Shout out to you guys. Very nice. Thank you, everybody. Now, Man, we appreciate newcomers.
0: You. newcomers. Newcomers, Dave. We've got two we go. newcomers. I'm pretty excited about both of these. First off, Canyon Country, California. Shout out. Yeah.
1: Ooh,
0: yeah. Nice. It's only it, I don't know, few miles. I didn't I didn't get out I didn't get out my scale for the map Dave, but it looked like a few miles north of Los Angeles. Hmm. Uh, okay. Still Los Angeles County. So it's still in the mm-hmm. county of Los Angeles. Uh, Dave, Mm. in 2017, Canyon Country, third safest city in the country. That's right.
1: Dang. Yeah. I like to hear that. Yeah. Safety first,
0: Dave. Safety
1: first. That's all I'm I'm about is safety.
0: Population of 59,000. So if you're thinking about a California place, Canyon Mm. Country could be for you. That's right. And you're going to find this weird, Dave. There's some canyons there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is so weird.
0: I know it's weird. They didn't fake you out with the name. It wasn't. It wasn't like Greenland and Iceland where they fake you out with oh, that name. I hate you know?
1: that. Yeah, not a not a really grind to my gears.
0: Not a sneaky bunch in Canyon Country. They went with the reg. They went they straight safe, forward. If you yeah. know what I mean. Exactly. Oh, I see what you did there. Nice. You slid it in. What? Mm. What? Mm. What? Okay, oh. next one. We've got uh, Joe Buck. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Yikes. Um, <laughs> they've I, I think I am gonna say this wrong. I'm gonna say this wrong, but uh Kane a Hawaii.
1: Oh man, mm-hmm. there's no way you said that right. Nope.
0: Nope. Mm mm. Not at all. <laughs> zero chance. I give it zero, zero chance. If I could call up the common kings right now, if I could call up Uncle, Uncle Lou, I'd, I'd get him to say it correctly. Or maybe Hi-Ree, oh, but <laughs> I've got no idea. I, got, I was shooting in the dark. I even tried to spell it out phonetically in my outline. Girl, come on. And <laughs> I, I did not. I did not do it justice, Dave. Anyways, that name means Bamboo Man in Hawaiian oh. dialect. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's on the it's on the island of Oahu. I know I got that one right. No, I got that one right. Uh, that's the same. That's the same as uh, Honolulu. You're right across the way. Actually, it's Sweet. like I don't know. As the crow flies, Dave, it looked like 20 miles away from Honolulu. Something like that. Not too uh-huh. far. Not too far. Looks like cool. a pretty great place. I, I, I would like to be there right now. As I was say, not be a bad a nice place to visit. Nice place to quarantine, you know? Wouldn't be for bad. Sure. Although I'd need a lot of supplies. Yeah. I'd get a little concerned out there on an island, you know? I'd be like, yeah. Need me a Things couple of months out, to make me feel good, you know? You know? Yeah. Anyways, shout out to everybody. Thanks for the listens, Canyon Country, California. Yeah, uh, you know what I said, Hawaii. I'm not going to try to say it again. Word. Get. Get more folks in there. Get some Honolulu folks. I can say that like nobody's business. (laughs) That's a fact. (laughs) Anyways, all right, Dave, are you ready? Second birthday suit. Let's go. Here we go. Uh, This one is sports, but it's old sports. Old sports. Not my best,
1: but yeah, exactly.
0: So I was a little concernicus. Okay, here we go. Born on April eighth, nineteen forty, in Martins Ferry, Ohio. A birthday suit wearer loved sports as a kid, played basketball, football, and baseball. He ultimately what ended year, up...
1: What year did he say
0: he was born? 40. 1940.
1: 40. Okay. He
0: ultimately ended choosing basketball, though. When he got to college, he ended up being uh, good enough to get a scholarship to Ohio State, where he roomed with future coaching legend Bobby Knight. So true. They won the, uh, the NCAA title in 1960... After college, he was drafted by the Boston Celtics and and the Cleveland Browns. Wait, what? The football team drafted him even though he hadn't played football since high school. High school. Wow. They were just like, you know what? He's probably still pretty good. Yeah, like he could do it. How, how good you got to be to be that dude? Wish I was that dude. Anyways, he decided to go to basketball, which was a good decision. Had an amazing 16-year career with the Boston Celtics. He was a eight-time NBA champion. A 13-time All-Star, an 11-time All-NBA player, an 8-time All-Defensive team player. His number 17 was retired by the Boston Celtics, and he's still number 16 on the all-time NBA scores list. Wow. Name that birthday suit wearer. Hmm.
1: Um, is it... I'm thinking of the... Old like power forward. He's the white guy. Is it Kevin? No,
0: <laughs> oh, no, no. You're you're way too late. That's '80s. That's '80 Celtics. This is '60 Celtics. Okay, that's Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale. Okay. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. This was at the same time it was Bill Russell. It's not Bill Russell. Yeah, that's
1: what I was gonna say. It's not Bill Russell. No. Um. It was
0: his counterpart.
1: Yes.
0: Hmm. Yeah. John Havlicek. <laughs> John Havlicek, yeah, dang, mm-hmm. yeah man. Crap. I mean, good not call. not a big name, you know, not but a big name. But a,
1: a recognizable name, but.
0: It's a recognizable name, and I mean, good lord,
1: that whole team. I mean I didn't realize he was that much older Havlicek.
0: they're, they're sort of they're sort of like uh there's there's they're sort of like uh, you know the the Patriots of the Belichick years and the fact that mm-hmm. like I mean you got Bill Russell and you got and you got John here, both of them all stars for tons of years crazy yeah. amount right. of championships yeah. uh, number 16 on the all-time scores list and like you know, Compare, I'm sure there are names below him on the scores uh, score list that are way more recognizable that people know, you know? So true. Like, oh
1: man, you even put like Kevin Garnett. You yeah, know, like exactly. All, all like Tracy
0: McGrady, you know? Right. Like, I mean, yeah. all these people, but John Havlicek, man. There you go. There you go.
1: Dang. Happy birthday to him.
0: Now, I think, hold on. I think he just recently died. Pretty positive. Oh yeah, no. yeah. Last year, not even a year. April twenty-fifth, last year. Oh yep. man, R.I.P. Yeah, in
1: in a Jupiter, legend.
0: Jupiter, Florida, man. <laughs> Jupiter, Florida. That's where he died. Right, right now, right down the Boston. road from us. Yep. Uh, anyways, happy birthday. Happy birthday to John! Happy, uh, I actually watched just recently, day. Dave, the uh, the uh, Celtics versus uh, Lakers, thirty for thirty. Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome! Oh, it's, it's got one. some,
0: it's got some John in there. It's got some Bill Russell. It's got some Bill. Uh, every time I watch on the Bill Russell, I'm just like, that dude needs more credit. Yes. That dude is. Oh yeah, is, for
1: sure. He's
0: ridiculous. I mean, he stopped Wilt the Stilt. He had 11, 11 rings. Two of those that was, rings. That he needs won. to come out more. He won as a coach player. A coach player. <laughs> crazy. Like, what? And not only, he was old as crap by that time. And he was still playing. He's like, what's up? Here I am. Oh, by the way, here's man. what we do, team. Let's get it. Like, crazy. <laughs> crazy. He's so good, man. Bill Russell. Bill Russell. But John Havlicek, his his uh, teammate... Happy birthday to him. Yes! Would've, yes, been, sir. would've been would have been eighty. Would have been eighty today. Mm. All right, guys. We are gonna take a break. We will be back with none other than Lori Lieberman right here on the Doc G Show.
2: my tune for the taking Take it, don't turn away I've been waiting all my life Thinking it over, I've been sad Thinking it over, I'd be more Change my ways for the asking. Ask me, and I will play.
0: Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we are lucky to be joined by terrific singer songwriter, Miss Lori Lieberman. Lori, how are you today? Oh,
4: uh, hi. How are you doing? I'm doing Very good. Very nice of you to contact me and yeah. lovely to speak to you.
0: Yes. Yeah. So let's jump right into it. Let's uh, take the listener back. Uh, you grew up uh, in both Switzerland and California, a little international there. Um, How long did you live in Switzerland, and what type of, like, impact did that have on your future career?
4: Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. You know, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, (laughs) but I'm dying to talk about it um, (laughs) because— You know, <laughs> because it's about me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> you know I was born in Los Angeles. My father was a chemical engineer who invented um, a kind of textured coating for the outside of houses that was sprayed from a gun. And he was a wow. great salesman and a very smart guy. Um, and he his name was Ken, and he his company was called Kenitex. Yeah. And when I was eight years old, he he wanted to um, see if there could be any um, international benefit to to moving us over there. Mm -hmm. And so he picked Geneva, Switzerland, and we moved there with the thought that we'd be there for a few months. But um, once we were there, we wound up staying pretty much until I was... Um, 17 years old, and then went on wow. to college. And, you know, it was a totally different lifestyle, of course. Um, again, I went from, you know, palm trees and um, uh, hair curlers to, um, you know, briefcases and um, uh, uh, uniform and Swiss schools. Yeah. And, you know, immediately had to learn French in, you know, at. at eight, nine years old in order to just communicate with a, with a schoolmate.
3: Yeah. Um,
4: and it was, um, you know, it was an interesting time. Um, and every few years we would come back to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a major culture, uh, culture shock. Um, mm-hmm. My cousin would meet me at the airport. She was a little older than me. Teach me the latest dances <laughs> and uh, buy, bring me clothes that I would actually change into at the airport oh, so man. I'd look cool.
0: Und- underco- I, I was about to say, undercover, the- you got, man, your cousin's looking out for you. <laughs>
4: yeah, yes! I know. And I sort of invented a life here for a few months and then went back and invented my life And my experiences in Los Angeles, uh, but I was the most popular kid, which, of course, was not the case in L.A. (laughs) No one knew who I was. And most of my life, it was, say hello to Lori Weberman. She's going to be in our class for a while. So (laughs) I went to many, many different schools. It was a a, a very chaotic um, childhood and Mm -hmm. really a split screen kind of a thing. But what the impact that i think it had mostly on me was that i i was pretty much in the in the role of an observer mm-hmm. pretty early on and i you know, began writing in my journals way, way, way back. I still have them actually from when I was nine nine years old. Wow! And um, not that they're that fascinating, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like some of them were. Uh, my parents didn't have the greatest marriage, and so some of them were like, um, "Today we went to a restaurant." Mommy and Daddy got in a fight. <laughs> Mommy left, and we ate her spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least, at least, least of...
0: you wrote down the important part. You had the spaghetti, and that was good.
4: <laughs> right, right. Oh my god! But um, and also, you know, my musical influences were um very different from the ones I would have had had I remained in L.A.
3: Yeah. I,
4: Listened to a lot of uh, French singers, um, and Dionne Warwick, who was very popular in in Germany, actually, Hmm. which kind of, um, sort of, we found a lot of her records in in Geneva, Switzerland. And um, then the Bee Gees, and um, uh, my sister, though, went off to college. And when she, uh, in Maine, and when she came back, she brought with her some albums. Mm. And it was kind of like that movie, Almost Famous, where
0: yeah. the,
4: the, remember that scene where the older sister leaves?
0: Gives the them all the records, sister? yeah.
4: Right. That's what my sister did for me and, nice. and opened up my world, my world to Tom Rush and Judy Collins, Johnny Mitchell. And I had already been playing the guitar for many years. And, and um, so this kind of solidified pretty much the kind of music that I thought I wanted to do.
0: Nice. Well, yes! so right now, if you go to Spotify and you look where your listens come from, uh it, it it's mainly europe you know uh the top five netherlands spain sweden uh do you think there's any connection between you growing up part-time in europe and now the connection you've made with european listeners hmm
4: you know i do think so i i actually do when when i in the early '70s, when I started to record for Capitol Records, mm-hmm. um, I went over to Amsterdam, um, to Holland, for the very first time. And for some reason, they resonated with my music, and I kept going back. But it reminded me, it reminded me of the happier times in, in Geneva, Switzerland, the mm-hmm. season change, uh, changing, and, and all of that kind of thing. In LA, we don't really, we certainly don't have that. And, um, I think that it did give me more of a sensibility and something that later on I really wanted to expose my own kids to, Mm -hmm. who traveled with me a little bit when I was on tour there.
0: Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, I saw on Instagram, uh, just actually a couple weeks ago, you posted, uh, Tell me a little bit about the Ultraviolet Blues, which was your was that your was that your first was that your first band? Hmm.
4: Yes, it was. Nice. It was. I um uh yeah I I was a sophomore in in high school mm-hmm. in Switzerland and, and became part of a band and nice. we used to sing, uh, play all all these songs that were not even in my key. <laughs> so you know we played um, a lot of. Um, uh, you know Julie Driscoll and Season of the Witch and and um, Al Cooper. <laughs> nice. and um, you know a bunch of a bunch of songs. It was as a, as a funny aside, I'm in the middle of um, three sisters mm-hmm. And um, when I left for uh, college in Boston um, for a two-year uh, college, my younger sister Kim, um, um, they assumed the musicians who were still in Geneva assumed that because her older sister Lori could sing, that she could sing, and so without <laughs> any audition or anything, they had her come up to you know and 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 sing at a school dance. Uh-oh. No, no rehearsal, Uh-oh. nothing. So Kim, who is an amazing artist, but has no no musical ability. <laughs> Um, they were playing, you know, Nights in White Satin, and Kim went, Nights in White Satin! <laughs> and they said, Kim, Kim! And she goes, what? They go, hum! And just went, <laughs> the time, she goes, Oh, no.
0: She ruined the moody <laughs> blues. Oh, no.
4: Yeah,
3: oh. I know. Oh, oh no. Nights in White Satin? <laughs> I
0: know. <laughs> so, you, you mentioned it. You went to college in Boston, uh, Pine Manor College, uh, how, yeah. that seems yeah. it seems a fairly. You know, I mean, it's a very small school. How did you decide on that school, and did you go <laughs> for music?
4: Well, I didn't really decide. I was. So bad in school, and I have to say, no fault of my own. We had no SAT testing um, practice or anything Mm. in in Geneva. Of course, that didn't stop my older sister, who was brilliant and went to Boston University. Mm. Um, And so, when I applied to schools with a 300 SAT score (laughs) for just writing my name right, um, I I was thrilled because Pine Manor um, accepted me and, and it was just outside of Boston and I could be near my sister Susan. Nice. Yeah. So that's how I picked that. Um, it. it actually, I found there it's a very small it was a very small all girls school. Mm-hmm. Um but I found um kind of a home there with with my music and took theory and, and um and did some musical theater stuff and, and, and it turned out to be a really really good experience for me.
0: Nice, nice. Well so you were you were nineteen uh when your pediatrician is what I heard, uh heard you wanted to be a singer and introduced you to your, your, your future uh, manager and songwriting uh, uh, collaborator there on Columbia. How long had you been trying to be a singer at that point when uh, you got connected there?
4: You know, I had just come out from uh, graduating from uh, Pine Manor, mm-hmm. and uh, found myself back in L.A. where my roots were, where my grandparents were, and where my parents now were settled in before they separated Mm -hmm. and um, and I uh, yeah so I think I was maybe about four months I was um, tooling around and playing at clubs and whatever trying to I remember a converted A&W root beer stand and and (laughs) writing songs (laughs) and then my pediatrician I think I was 18 years old and Mm. he um introduced me to his neighbor, Norman Gimbel, who yeah. was looking for a singer along with his partner, Charles Fox.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I
4: went there and, and sang for him.
0: Nice. Now, now in, in 71, that was the uh, legendary story of you going to the Troubadour with your friend, Michelle. Now, for the listeners out there that don't know, um, this is one of the coolest scenes in entertainment, I think, of the 20th century, the Troubadour... At the start of the 70s. I mean, you've got Joni Mitchell, Gordon Lightfoot, Linda Ronstadt, James Taylor, Neil Young, Elton John. I mean, even Richard Pryor made his live album there. Um, Very, very active, very exciting, vibrant place. And you went there, you uh, sort of begrudgingly went there to see Don McLean. And uh, the song Empty Chairs Caught Your Ear. Uh, why was Empty Chair so poignant to you at that moment? Hmm.
4: It was poignant to me because my, um, you know, my my manager, uh, Norman Gimble, uh, mm-hmm. who was well, about 20 years older than I, um, he he uh, and I had begun this uh, personal relationship and mm-hmm. it was a tumultuous one it was in secret it was um, an up and down thing and we were going through one of our breakups when my friend Michelle took me to the Troubadour mm-hmm. and Empty Chairs just spoke to me and I resonated with it and it resonated with me so much mm-hmm. I I really did feel like um, you know he was singing directly to me and yeah. um, it was a song that spoke about coming home to an empty house, an empty chair, and no one sitting there. And mm-hmm. um, I felt really almost embarrassed. I felt that the, the, yeah. the whole club was looking at me. Can you imagine? I felt <laughs> like, um, you know, <laughs> talk about having tunnel vision. Yeah. And I felt like I was, you know, I wrote a poem about about and sitting there I, when people filtered out of the club afterwards. I, I sat there and wrote a poem about feeling like you know someone was going through my diaries and uh, and 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 speaking about me and my life. Yeah. So yeah. it was just that particular song, and you know now that I have um recently recorded it for for my new record you know it means a whole lot of different things to me but it is a beautiful song and i'm i guess you know i'm 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 very very happy that that song begat another song
0: yeah yeah well we'll get we'll get to uh you uh recording empty chairs for the 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 most recent album here in just a little bit but um like you said you wrote the poem on a napkin. Uh, and then it became uh, part of Killing Him Softly. Um, you know, you wrote that, uh, uh, wrote that poem, and that became some of the, the, the content for the song. And, you know, I, the thing, I went, I went back and I, I looked at the Washington Post uh, interview or article on, uh, on sort of the whole background about that, and what uh, really confused me was uh, how your manager, how Gimbal, agreed with the way that the song was created for several years in the '70s. Right. He, he, you know, he would openly say, you know, the inspiration from the song at the club, and then we took it and we made this song, and this is how it turned out. And then in the '90s, he just sort of U-turns and says, "No, I did it all. We did it all. Me and me and Fox did it all." Do you have any yeah. idea why that U-turn was there?
4: You know, I can only imagine that well, it, we had a very very nasty split. Yeah. Um and and I think that that didn't you know, that certainly didn't help. Yeah. I wanted to get out of my contracts and, and, uh, they had had me sign an extension, a uh, four year extension to my already five year contract. But my personal relationship was just a, a nightmare. Yeah. And, uh, and so when I said I wanted to get out of it, um, they actually, um, threatened me with a series of, um, legal um, letters that went on for several months and prevented me from recording for four more years um, it was a really horrible time for me um, they said that I owed them you know $25,000 for touring costs when they'd already made millions with Roberta Flack and whoever yeah. else who had uh, recorded it um, You know, it's notable that the song was um, you know when I showed Norman Gimbel my poem, or when I read it to him on the phone, um, we went back and forth and back and forth over the next uh, day for certain, that night and that next day, yeah. about where I was sitting and feeling, thinking, and um, we, we really worked on it together to make sure that the uh, lyric was accurate. Um, yeah. He already had the um, the title, Killing Killing me softly with his blues, which yeah. he would found from a book that he'd written, so uh, that he'd read, and so he thought this would be a good idea to put that with this title. And he was a very, um, you know, very smart, very talented uh, songwriter. He had written every uh, as a lyricist, he had written, you know, everything from Canadian Sunset to Believe It or Not. I love him. I love him. And where he goes, on. all of the. Um, Joe Beam songs in English, yeah. Panema. Um, You know, he he was um, very crafty mm-hmm. and um, very, um, you know, a, a, a very great, you know, lyricist, but a very, um, but very manipulative when it came to me. Because again, uh, going back, Charles Fox and Norman, they they. Discovered me, and I'm Mm -hmm. very appreciative that they did. And they got a deal for me um, with Capitol Records, where they were um, the producers, managers, publishers, and everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, they wanted very much to make it sound as though the songs were coming from my point of view. And I was younger, I was 19, and they were uh, gimbal. I was already 43, and Charlie was 37, and um, they, uh, you know, so they fashioned these songs as though they would come from me, and Killing Me Softly was one of those. Yeah. Um, And so I had a great deal of input on several of the songs, and Killing Me Softly was certainly... Um, one of them, mm-hmm. I was not given credit. Yeah. I didn't think that I did. I, I didn't even think to ask Ben. Yeah. I didn't even think to ask. I was so um, happy. It was my first album, and I was so excited about about the whole thing. So yeah. when it came out, it started to creep up the charts, and it was on an American Airlines flight when Roberta Flack was. Flying from New York to or L.A. to New York, or something mm-hmm. like that, and uh, she heard it on an in-flight system and re- and uh, performed it live until Qu- Quincy Jones told her, "Don't don't sing that dang song one more time <laughs> live until you record it." <laughs> and so she did, and um, and her version, of course, went to number one, and they got Grammy awards for it, and yeah. um, it, it was you know a, a really big deal. Um, when the nasty split happened after four albums and uh, again a terrible experience um, uh, with with gimbal um, it created a lot of animosity mm-hmm. and I think that when the fuchis recorded it in six, five, six mm-hmm. thank you um, I think that they were advised to shift the story.
3: Mm. Yeah.
4: Up until then, in countless uh, magazines, TV shows, yeah, like Douglas and Merv Griffin, and on and on, they were in the green room, and we all talked about, you know, the how the song was written, and they agreed with it, and, yeah. and it was very clearly Don McLean had a song called "Killing Them Softly" with my with my songs. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew that uh, it was written and uh, by that ex- from that experience. Yeah, and, and that felt. In a way, for me, all those years, it kind of felt okay. It didn't feel great to not be acknowledged, but then I blamed myself. Yeah. I didn't stand up for myself. But when they changed the story and said, no, actually, it's an urban myth. That's not how it happened. Yeah. Uh, we actually wrote the song, and we played it for Lori, and it reminded her of the time that um, she went to the Troubadour, and poor Don even believes this urban myth, that to me then it sort of it, it 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 had a sort of a, a snowball effect where a lot of my fans and a lot of people who you know loved the song started to pretty much call me out as um, I guess we'll never know the truth.
3: Yeah. Well,
4: she says yeah. she says it was written about Don McClain, but they claimed that it wasn't, and I don't know. Um, I don't know why, until Norman Gimbel um, passed away in 2018, Yeah, I don't know why he really devoted uh, the, the remaining years of his life to discredit me. Yeah. And he even called Don McLean... And threatened him. And Don is a very—you um, don't mess with Don. Um, and yeah, he, no, uh, I really called
0: him out. I, I was about to say I saw the comment that he made after uh, Gimbal passed away, actually, and I said, "Wow, Jeez. yeah, you don't want to cross Don McLean. He doesn't seem like a, a happy guy once you cross him there." That's yeah. It's I—I I was very confused when I looked at it and just saw you know. what they had said like you said it is plastered all over in their own words in newspapers and articles all through the 70s and then they just sort of u-turn and you're like well what are you saying you were lying there is that what you're saying (laughs) and then why why were you lying then like why why the change then so i just yeah, yeah it's very confusing but uh from the columbia records Um, Uh, Capital actually or Capital Uh, sorry uh, yeah Capital you Mm -hmm. went on to uh, the last album there of the 70s was Letting Go Um, and that seemed like a big album because that was all of your songwriting that was that was all you Um, what do you remember about recording that album
4: well um, it was at that time I was able I finally was free from their contracts yeah so four years had passed Um, which was which was tough you know I was in the middle of my of my career and I had gone from 24 years old to 28 years old and in those four years it was a tremendous amount of um, you know, isolation and depression and uh, panic disorders and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, legal nonsense with them. And I was bullied and it was very difficult. So when I got another deal finally with Millennium Records, mm-hmm. which is a subsidiary or was a subsidiary of uh, RCA, mm-hmm. Jimmy Einer was at the helm and he was great with me and he really wanted. It to be my own statement and my own work, and um, and that was a wonderful experience. Um, But what wasn't so wonderful was um, it was going to be. uh, I would be. It was a millennium was a New York based um, small and up and coming um, record label. Yeah, and I, I was coming from Los Angeles, so. I would be recording. They, Jimmy set me up with Paul Lecca, who was a uh, producer, and we would be recording in um, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Paul Lecca was best known for... Um, he actually did Harry Chapin's um, The Cats in the Cradle. Mm. Yeah, and he did um, Shanana early on. He wow. was, I think, a part of Shanana. Anyway, it was an odd match in, in some ways, <laughs> yeah. in some ways not, but as he picked me up in his... Um, the car in New York uh, we drove from New York to Connecticut we passed Greenwich and we passed Stanford and we passed Westport yeah. and then we got to where we'd be recording which is Bridgeport which is a mm, armpit of, <laughs> of Connecticut up on top of a Dunkin Donuts
3: oh, and wow. it was
4: the <laughs> worst experience and he was the. Him. I think he's passed away as well and I'm so sorry to speak badly of him but <laughs> He was so irreverent that while I'd be singing, I, my eyes would be closed. I'd be behind the booth. I would open my eyes and he was vacuuming right outside <laughs> the, the vocal booth. <laughs> you know, was, oh, my gosh. It was a terrible Sorry, experience. it's getting a little
0: dusty out here. Whoops. Sorry about that.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the input he would give me would be like, no, just sing it the way a hit singer would. Well, that didn't help me at all. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't the greatest experience. And unfortunately, the, the record label folded about oh, eight months later. And yeah. uh, and so then I got out of the business. Yeah, Largely because uh, the business had changed and my kind of music, uh, which had now turned to music was now disco. I really couldn't find a place. And I also had a terrible experience. One last, one last <laughs> little anecdote was um, when I went to see a publisher for the, you know, one of many meetings. And um, and this guy uh, called me into his office, sort of flagged me in. I'd not met him before. And mm-hmm. I sat down while he was on the phone. And he didn't get off the phone. He didn't acknowledge me, and I was sitting there, and he was talking about some nonsense about what restaurants to go to, <laughs> and I just decided to look at my watch, and I thought, I'm going to give this like, one, I'm going to give this 60 more seconds. And when 60 seconds passed and I was still ignored, I got up and I left and I never I didn't really think I'd ever uh, go back to the business. And I I I left the business and yeah. I, um, and I uh, got pregnant with three kids and my life was um, for the next 10 to 12 years I was pretty much um, you know, in the mountains of Malibu we had horses and it was a happy life and I was sort of going to be doing some music for kids and uh, working at Fame. Um, My my then husband um, was musical director, and I helped him out. Um, I didn't think I'd go back until 94 when I did.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so I was going to say, you know, 60s, early 60s, or, or late 60s, early 70s, that was really sort of the sweet spot of your style um you know a lot of uh, yeah. a, a lot of sort of what they would call now sort of americana or folk singing really and and singer songwriter stuff and going into the late 70s like you said you start getting disco and then early 80s you start getting quarter hey, flash hey, yeah and you get you get all of these you know really polished really produced songs which actually not really your vibe um, No. and there there's this long gap where like you said you had a family Um, And it's actually, it's funny, it's coincidentally, I looked at it, it's the exact same gap as the Eagles. The Eagles didn't make anything from uh, 78 to to 94. And they stay. (laughs) And oh, I,
4: really
0: yeah and i was like huh. I, I
4: don't think i knew that
0: yeah they go from they go from the long run until hell freezes over album and it's the exact same exact same time period And i was wow. like well, that makes sort of sense sort of the same vibe that's the uh, same huh. idea
3: yeah uh,
0: <laughs> but how much how much were you writing in those years when when you weren't in were you still writing songs during that time
4: I was. I was writing, but not showing them to anyone.
0: Mm-hmm. I
4: really, um, you know, it became, it's funny. It, it, I'm staring right now at my nine year old diary, which is on a shelf here. And I think that it, I kind of reverted back to that young girl um, writing in secret. Yeah. Um, I actually thought, I, I, I actually felt um, so, I, I felt like what had happened was something that happened in my past that I would never uh, revisit. And,
3: yeah.
4: and my songs um, um, were uh, very kind of serious and heavy, and I didn't play them for anyone until no. um, until I had an opportunity to record again for an audiophile um, community, which... For me, it was perfect because it was a community that um, centered on sound mm-hmm. uh, and content, yeah. and they were very um, attentive and and respectful. Mm-hmm. Which meant there were listening rooms with expensive equipment, yeah. and they would listen to every nuance. and And for me, now I was um, forty four years old, and. I it was perfect I it didn't mean that I had to tour I had three yeah. young children and it, it and I could write what I felt and and it, it opened up uh, the next um, chapter of my life
0: yeah well I, I want I want to follow up with that but uh, real quick I want to take a, a detour there you're talking about your your kids and I actually noticed one of your sons uh, mr. will Scott is assistant coach for player development with the Sacramento Kings. What? That's that's yeah. pretty exciting. We're big fans of basketball on the show. Yes! That's uh that, oh. That's a fantastic... Are you a basketball fan? Hmm.
4: I am. Oh, my gosh. I don't miss a game. Are you kidding? Nice. So he started... You know, it's what he always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and he uh, finally... He went to Indiana University and studied uh, sports management and mm-hmm. then got a job with the Lakers. He was with the Lakers for um, five years, mm-hmm. six years. He had really hoped to be able to uh, work with Phil Jackson but he came on to the Lakers just as Phil Jackson had left. Yeah. And um, and uh, but he he did he he was there in the video department. Yeah. And um and and then when last year um, you know Magic left and and uh, they had a whole shift and oh, yeah. Walton left and went to the Sacramento Kings yeah. and uh, will uh, decided to follow him up there and so yeah, he he moved up to Sacramento. I live in L.A. Mm-hmm. and um, it's you know it was a great it's been a great experience. They're they're really an up and coming team. I mean they oh, started yeah. to do so well before the the season abruptly ended. Yeah, um, it was a strange thing, wasn't it? Uh, for me personally, I was watching the. their their very last game and they were all kind of confused it was about to start everyone was ready to go yeah and then they were called off the courts and um of course the season ended yeah but um he he's he loves luke walton and uh just loves loves you know what he's doing so so much and it's so uh, do you have children
0: i do not no no
4: oh it's just wonderful though to to be uh, to 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 know that your kids are happy doing what they're doing, and I have three yeah. kids, and they're all doing exactly what they really love to do.
0: Now, well, yeah. my
4: my older daughter is a tattoo artist. Fantastic
0: so ta- she, tattoo I, artist! I saw I saw some oh, of her designs you. there. Yeah, uh,
4: isn't she though? Yeah. I, you know she really is. She she's you can't get an appointment with her. She's I'm, really she travels around the world, and she is. Wonderful. Her name's M Scott. To be and, uh, to,
0: son... to be honest, I'm blown away too by tattoo artists just in general because I like you know I I can draw okay, but like on pen, on paper you can see it, and like when you watch a person do a oh. tattoo, like you know it. The skin bends to the needle, and there's there's ink going everywhere, and there's blood going everywhere, and you're just like, I know. and and it's just like this cloud of confusion, and then they wipe it away, and it's amazing painting, and you're like, what? How did that? Where did that <laughs> yeah, come from? R- and <laughs> you're right.
4: It's, it's you're impressive, right, you know. It is impressive, isn't it? You know, when she said that she wanted to do that early on, um, her dad and I were like, oh no, but you know what? It's <laughs> perfect for her it's her lifestyle it's who she truly is it's who she always was and she's you know she's very tatted up as well it's it's just perfect for for her and she's just so darn good at it Mm -hmm. and my other son uh, Dan Scott is a um is an editor for HBO, and he's been working on uh, True Detective, and wow. and now he's uh, and let's see, The Outsiders he did, mm. and then now he he's working on a show. I don't know the title, but I'm sure that it'll come out, in, and everyone will know. But it's with Kate Winslet, mm. and so he's he's lovely, and he's actually doing a documentary on me. And he I uh, just interviewed Don McLean. He he went to see him, which was very nice.
0: Yeah. Wow that is yeah that's fantastic to be able to see your kids do what they want to do that is yeah it's got to be a good feeling um it's true well back to what you want to do which was perform you you started performing again in 94 or well you recorded in 94 um thousand a thousand dreams what made you decide to make that album because you said you got a sort of a chance to get back in music what what made you decide to go back
4: I really wanted to go back um, without all the BS. That was important. At this time, no managers. I wanted to be, um, you know, uh, uh, creatively involved and I wanted to be able to write whatever I wanted to. And um, uh, uh, Joseph Cowley, um, who kind of Recognized um, a poster that I had on my wall. He was a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, got me singing again. By then, my marriage had sort of fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And he said, "You know, we can figure this out." And and so we um, did actually three albums for an audiophile label. Nice. And um, uh, and and after that, uh, we started. We got married, and and we we started to record in a home studio Mm -hmm. and, uh, because Joe Kelly, whose background is, believe it or not, he's an actor who was, is best known for his role in Saturday Night Fever.
0: Yeah. I saw that. I saw that. And,
4: uh, Yeah, he was so good in it, too. He was a cute friend. (laughs) And I must have seen that movie a thousand times before I even met him. Um, But uh, he then became an audiophile selling high-end equipment to a celebrity clientele and then moving towards um, home theaters and now... Does um, uh, home home theaters for um, oh everyone from Oprah to Tom Cruise to on and on. Um, but back then he was sound was very important and he teamed me up with Mark Levinson who was his then partner in a company they had called Cello Music and Film and Mark is really well known. Mm-hmm. He uh, uh, you know anyway but uh, so he helped me with the first album and um, I. The reason I wanted to go back was largely because it felt like for the first time I could, I could really um, sing from my heart without yeah. um, any restrictions.
0: Nice, nice. Well, it, right around uh, the second album that you came out, Home of Whispers, which came out in '96, uh, like I said, that was the same time I actually first heard Killing Me Softly because of the Fugees. Um, now, when they release Killing Me Softly. What did you think that time? Were you like, oh no, here we go again. This is all coming. (laughs) Or were you more excited about it and just like, Hey, there it is again. That's, that's my song.
4: I, yeah, I started to feel, um, excited about it. I really love their version. I I was a big fan of Florida Hill. Mm -hmm. So when they came out with it, you know, I, I, I really loved their version. Um, I didn't love the video so much with the popcorn, but I loved <laughs> yeah. her. I loved their version, um, and it it, um, it it also though started to make me feel a little bit of a disconnect. Um, after all, it was a song that was born out of um, a certain experience. Yeah, and when I heard he sang a good song, that was me. Yeah, and here it became something else, kind of. Um, it became part of an arrangement more than a lyric. Yeah. Um, I, 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 um, but I also, um, became a pretty big deal in my household because my <laughs> kids who were then teenagers, you know, yeah. were like, ah, oh, and on MTV they had the pop-up of, uh, you know, the bubble. Yeah. Of how it was first mm-hmm. recorded. And it made me feel really great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, as we were talking before, that's when the story of how it was written started to change. change yeah, from my man, from Gimble Fox, and that was very tough.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so since since ninety four, you've you've done several albums. Uh, I think ten, by my count. In, that's including the newest, uh, "The Girl and the Cat," which uh, uh, just came out last year. Um, what would you? Uh, which one would you say? was most fun to write and record. And I'm going to emphasize fun because hmm. it seems like songwriting for you is a bit cathartic, but I want to know which one is the most just fun that you had recording.
4: Oh god, that's hard to say. Well, I would well, you know, for me, it's never a light experience. It's not like yeah. I, you know, it's not it's not ever I don't know if I ever think of it as being fun. Yeah. I, I would say what is most fulfilling, what's most rewarding.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, you know, I, I had an album called Gunmetal Sky, which I did on... Uh, I first kind of figured out the arrangements, believe it or not, on, on GarageBand. And mm. then we replaced those parts with live musicians. And that was kind of fun because yeah. I was able to try my hand as an arranger. That was cool. Yeah. but. Um, My most rewarding was certainly this last one. And I'm not saying it because I think it was commercial or (laughs) it's going to sell well or any of that. You know, in this day and age, who knows? But, you know, it was. It was very, very, very um, fulfilling for me because I wanted very much to do it with the string quartet that I'd worked with in, in the Netherlands, the Matangi Quartet. Yeah. And I, I even brought them to Carnegie Hall with me um, yeah. at this in last October. Um, I'm so grateful that that happened then. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The times have changed, haven't they? Yeah. But um, in such a few short months. But... Um, uh, i I also you know it started I started to write a song called the girl and the cat um, based on a, a, a parent and, uh, and and a mother's dealing with her child's choices in my case it was my daughter who mm-hmm. back then when she was 18 she had some serious drug issues and um, and it was uh, a very difficult time for her for me, mm-hmm. and that song is about a mother finding her way in light of her daughter's choices, and mm. and and uh, and and creating boundaries for herself because mm. it can almost, well, they say you're only as happy as your. Um, Least Happy Child. um, (laughs) I knew that she was suffering. Um, And so the song Girl and the Cat is about that. One song led to the next, but I really wanted to create open sections for the quartet. I knew I wanted to arrange for the strings. Yeah contacted um, Stephanie Fife, who's a, an orchestrator and a cellist I've worked with forever, and a dear friend, and together we worked on these arrangements, and every single note, every transition uh, for the quartet, I, I learned so much, and for the, uh, the year that it took for us to do all of these arrangements for the 13 songs, um, there, it's just, it was the most fulfilling, and nice, you know, I had touched on I touched on a few um, aspects of my early life. I think the fact yeah. that my background was so chaotic, etc. I I was prone to some anxieties and disorder, panic disorders, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them, believe it or not, was sitting at the piano. Um, hmm. Sitting at the piano for me was. Uh, uh, like that movie Shine <laughs> yeah. way back where, where uh, performing my, my hands would become like a blurred sea of keys and mm. I would lose my way and because hitting a wrong note was so profound I could hide it better on the guitar Yeah, I didn't I never uh, played in public so this was centered also around this album was around my my piano yeah. and so I um, I played and um, and also went on tour, at Carnegie Hall, and um, and then the Netherlands, equally prestigious place called the Chabal mm. and I didn't make any um, errors, and I felt like I had overcome something really great. So yeah. that was fun. Nice. <laughs> that was fun. Nice. <laughs>
0: well, uh, how did you? How did you for for this album? How did you decide on the Matangi Quartet and? Then why did you decide to include uh, Empty Chairs on this album?
4: Well, their, first, their their artistry is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the byproducts of the beauty of, of going to the Netherlands were deep friendships that I've um, formed in the last, you know, whatever, 40 years. But also the amazing musicianship. I mean, they're so... Oh, the the uh, the singers and songwriters there are so very good, and Matangi was an amazing string quartet who had played for the Queen. I mean, they're incredible. Yeah. Um, And uh, that's why I wanted to do... um, And also, they're great people. And that's why I wanted very much to incorporate them um, into the making of this album. And we did half here, um, my piano work here, and then brought the tracks over there. And I went there and recorded them there. So it was a real, really cool um, experience. I wanted to record Empty Chairs All these years later, um, you know, because I think it's a beautiful song, I wanted to do a different spin on it i'd heard other versions other singer songwriters or other excuse me i had heard other recording artists record empty chairs but yeah none of them were satisfying to my ear none of them yeah because you know don wrote it in a very strange legato kind of a uh, meter there mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really have a meter he's so outside of um you know your standard uh you know tempo, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to um, also create a different um, orchestration for it and a different instrumental to it, um, and add a little bit of my own vocabulary to yeah. the song. So um, that's why I did it. I did it on the piano, and um, but you know it resonates with me now more perhaps more, than it did then. Um, not a happy story, but my, my father, who was 94, um, was a healthy, um, uh, vibrant um, man mm-hmm. living in London, uh, but he um, decided that he did not want to live anymore. He mm. didn't want to become ill or become a burden or, frankly, uh, be viewed as an older gentleman. He was such a cad. Mm-hmm. And um, last, uh, in 2018, um, uh, we got a call that he had actually gone to Zurich and ended his life there with an mm. assisted living, um, uh, excuse me, assisted suicide. Yeah, Boy, that's a weird thing. Assisted suicide, um, uh, a place called Dignitas. And when I saw Thing, and we, we didn't know this And but when I when I sing empty chairs now it, it brings me almost to tears when I when one of the, the lyrics is um, um, uh, and I wonder if you know that I never understood that although you said you'd go until you did I never thought you would mm. and so for me it just you know yeah. is about my father
0: hits home yeah yeah I I, well, I I saw before that I think uh, actually where Don McLean was performing it. Um, I think I, I think it was sometime fairly recent, and you were in the audience. And he actually brought everything up about the you creating killing uh, killing him softly with uh, with his song, and he performed it there. Yeah. And it already seemed moving in that sense without the added extra, um, you know, level of intensity with uh, with uh, the your father's connection. So, um, yeah, makes it se- true. it <laughs> makes sense to it's definitely got to be a a powerful song to uh, to play. Um, which, which brings me to the show that you had scheduled at the Troubadour on April 4th. Um, but now because of the whole, uh, pandemic, it has been postponed, but hopefully everything goes to plan. It will be on September 1st. Um, what, what are you looking forward to? Um, you know, what are you expecting out of this show on on September first? Hmm.
4: You know, it's it's interesting that there are not um, places in LA to really perform here. There really are not seated venues. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a Grammy Museum. I've done a, a few times. And mm-hmm. a, but, but most of them are. They're either cabaret, which is not me, yeah. you know, not me at all. Jazz clubs, that's not me. Yeah. But the troubadour made sense to go back to where it all began with me. And, and you were right about the Eagles. I mean, I have memories of sitting in the, you know, at a table near the bar there and and, yeah. and having a drink with them, way way back, rubbing elbows with, um, you know, my colleagues.
3: Um, yeah. And
4: I performed there several times. Uh, Kenny Rankin, I opened for and. Uh, and Randy Newman another time. Nice. So it made sense for me to go back. Yeah, I wanted it to be a retrospective of all my my work. Um, and this time I would be with um, a string quartet from here, and a wonderful one. But um, I, I just it. You know, if you go on the Troubadour website, they say there's a drop-down menu, and it says history. Yeah. It says 1970, Tom Waits, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 James Taylor. Mm -hmm. And then it says 1972, it says Laurie Lieberman attends Don McLean concert and writes Killing Me Softly. Yeah, And I thought, well, you know what, if I'm going to be on their website as part of their archival, you know, history... I might as well do a performance. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go back, and it's going to be a seated venue for me. Yeah. And I, I do hope that um, September 1st happens, and if it doesn't, then I'll um, postpone it again, but um, it... it it is an important place for me to be
0: at again. Very nice. Well, it is, it is, is, sorry to say to the listeners, it is sold out for the September 1st show. So if you have, I'll do a second evening.
4: I'll do a second (laughs) evening and a third.
0: There there you go. Look, (laughs) look out for it. Listeners look out for the second and third. Um, Lori, (laughs) we are up against a break, but I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Had a great time.
4: Oh, uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I probably blabbed on and on. I could talk <laughs> forever, but, you know, i cabin fever. Anything else you want to know about me? <laughs> w- w- we
0: might, <laughs> anyway, have, we might have to do a second and third show. Who knows?
4: <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, please be well, and to all your listeners, be well. Stay safe. We'll get through this. And um, lovely to speak to you. Ben. Yes. Thank you so, so much. Please take good care, okay?
0: Will do. Uh, listeners, you can listen to the song, uh, all the songs from the album uh, check out all things Laurie at com, or you can follow her on Instagram at underscore Laurie underscore Lieberman underscore right now let's take a listen to Empty Chairs right here on the Doc G Show
2: tingle of a sleepless night creep through my fingers and the moon is bright beams of blue come flickering through my window pane like gypsy moths that dance around a candle flame and I wonder if you know that I never understood That although you said you'd go until you did, I never thought you would. Moonlight used to bathe the contours of your face while chestnut hair fell around the pillowcase the fragrance of your flowers rest beneath my head a sympathy bouquet left with a love that's dead and I wonder if you know that I never understood that although you said you'd go until you did I never thought you would, never thought the words you said were true, never thought you said just what you meant, never knew how much I needed you, never thought you'd leave. Until you the memories I can't forget, empty rooms that echo as I climb the stairs, and empty clothes that drape and fall on empty chairs. And I wonder if you know I never thought you would, you were. until you did, I never thought you were.
0: And we are back here on the Doc-A-G show. You just heard Lori Lieberman with her new Empty Chairs. Boom. That's right. Recreating the classic Don McLean right there. Yeah. Nice, man. I I tell you, and you could probably hear in that interview, I got pretty jazzed about the whole uh, troubadour. Like, I just thought
1: i know man you lo- i just you thought love about it.
0: that i'm wearing an eagle shirt right now eagle 78 and that was like their huh that was that. like Look their home man was the troubadour and like it's just like it's so cool to think about like i'm a i'm a huge fan of 70s tunes so true. man and like all mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. 70s greats were there. I mean your Crosby Stills Nash and young, your 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 Eagles, your uh, Jackson Brown, your Elton John like just like all of these I mean Elton John that was his first so American uh, concert was at the troubadour like you know James oh, wow. Taylor, Carol King. Uh, Joni Mitchell, just like all these just like such awesome 70s jams. You go
1: Yeah. On and on. Yeah, Goodness. and I
0: just imagine like going to see Don McLean. I was like, oh, oh, to jump in a Wayback Machine right there. Oh, my gosh. So true. I'd be having my, my sweet bell-bottom jeans on. Wait, and what? And my sweet flowing open a button shirt you know <laughs> down like five buttons just to let a little bit of taco meat come out of the top you know Ew. just to let people know I was cool yeah. probably like four necklaces on, <laughs> Girl, a, on a pair of shades maybe let my hair down oh my gosh are you kidding that'd be me right there dave at the troubadour
1: so true oh i derailed that's a sight. I a derailed. <laughs>
0: We're talking about Lori. I'm sorry. I got so excited about the Troubadour. Anyways, so good to talk to Lori. Such an entertaining interview, man. If you if you haven't listened to it, go out, listen to the new album. It's fantastic, especially the song that we just played. Do it. Empty Chairs. Dave, it is time. Last birthday suit. And I'm worried you're not going to get this one either. But... We'll give it a shot. Oh, we'll give man. it a shot. I don't know if we've had a, a, an an offer in a long time, but April 8th was a bad day for famous folks to be born. Oh. Um, the ones that we got are not in Dave's wheelhouse. Nope. Anyways, here we go. Oh. But maybe they're in the listeners' Ma- wheelhouse. And there that's you all go. That uh, looking out for the listeners, Dave. There you go. I like it. Yes! Uh, born on April eighth, nineteen sixty four in Manhattan. Our birthday suit wearer moved to Long Island with his family when he was young. While in high school, he started becoming very interested in hip hop and beatboxing. Hmm. He graduated from Longwood High School in 1982. In 1988, Our Birthday Sue Aware gained enough notoriety as a rapper and a beatboxer that he was able to release his own album titled Going Off. The songs Nobody Beats and Vapors were underground hits. By 1989, Our Birthday Sue Aware was ready to release another album, on this album, he created a song with his cousin titled Just a Friend, which became our birthday suitwear's biggest hit and really his only mainstream hit. Hmm. The song Just a Friend was listed on VH1's 100 Greatest One Hit Wonders as number 81. He's had several appearances on TV and movies. He was on Sci Fi Network's Sharknado, Sharknado. 2. Yeah, yeah. Name that birthday suit where, Dave?
1: Yeah, I thought that was like Barry Manilow or something. (laughs) Just a friend.
0: Girl, you got what I need. But you say he's just a friend. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, baby, you. You got to say it all off key like that. That's the way you do it, Dave. That's not me being a bad singer. That's the
1: song. That's right. Any ideas, Dave? No, I—I I mean Barry Manilow is in my head, but I know that's wrong. You
0: had a—you—you you were on the right track. B.M. Biz Marquee. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I I know you knew it. I know you knew it. You had it's it right man. there. You had it. That face. You know that face Justin, when you
1: Justin would have had it. When
0: you see Bismarck's face, you're like, I know that face. What? I know that
1: dude. I, think I know what his face looks. Oh, like. Oh yeah, yeah. No,
0: no. Look it up, Dave. You'll 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 be like, I know that dude. Because, like I said, he's done a bunch of cameos in movies and in TV. And in I did TV. not know this guy. <laughs> oh, come on, Dave. You know that face. Jeez. Oh, don't. Oh, man. Don't mess with my lit content right now, Dave. Come on. I'm sorry. Jeez. That's not lit. We're going to finish with a fire dance move. Get ready. Sweet. Did you notice Uh-oh. all of those TikTok dance moves are like really, like they're just, they're doing what the song says. Like it's like wind it up and and they'll do it. it. I don't like. I don't get like what. It's weird. I don't. But but we still don't have the skill to. do I'm too old (laughs) to understand, Dave. My hips don't move like that. I'm too old. Anyways, Bismarcky, what is he turning? What is he turning? That would be. That would be like sixty something. Fifty six. Fifty six. Bismarcky, sixty four. So turning the big five six. Nicely done, Biz. Keep it real. He's good at beatboxing, man. Did a, there you go. Did a lot of beatboxing with all the with, with all the the rappers of the '80s, the LL Cool J's, the Beastie Boys. He was in all. I of mean, that. that'd
1: be sweet just to be around it all, you know. Oh
0: yeah, he was definitely in in the movement yes! in that in that first wave of golden hip hop in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was definitely in it, man. Uh, happy birthday to Biz. Dave, this is where I tell you, good show's coming up. Excited about next week's show. John Craigie, as I told you, uh, big, big fan in Andy Frasca. He loves John Craigie. Mm. uh, He does. And uh, I'm pretty excited to say this. We got one up on Andy. He hasn't had him on his show yet. That's right. Say what? Uh That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, that's what, that's what when, when I first uh, got in touch with John, he was like, oh, man, we need to, uh, I need to get uh, the show going with Andy. And I was like, oh, what? hasn't done Andy's show yet. Booyah. Take it, Andy. Take that and like it. now nah, Suck it. Just, just a friendly comp. Just a friendly comp, Andy. We love you. And we love your show. We love both. Uh, anyways, we've got John Craigie, who is extremely talented from none other than Oregon, from none other than Portland, good friends with former guests, Shook Twins, going to talk about all of that. Very excited, Dave. Got some others. We're going to see how they play out. I don't want to mention them yet. Got to make sure that we got them locked down, but yep. trust me, they're
1: good. Okay. Big, big things. The, yeah, poppin'. Exactly.
0: Big things popping. Do kids say that? They don't, do they? Nope. That's not a thing well, anymore.
1: Ti said it. So. Oh
0: well, Ti's cool, anyways. Even if he is old, it's fine. He's cool. I mean, he's right up there. He's right up there with Morgan Freeman as voices I wish I had. So, oh, I mean,
1: man. he's up there for sure. Yeah. It's uh, almost like his voice doesn't fit his like No, with his of, look. Kind of like Morgan Freeman too. Yeah. He's got
0: this he's got this little skinny body, you know, and he's just like this just nice-looking guy and then he's just got such a swag voice. That's right. It's just so yep. laid yep. back and just I mean, uh gosh. <laughs> uh I mean, if if I had that voice, we would have 15,000 more listeners right now.
1: Yeah, way, way more. Just
0: 15,000 <laughs> right now because of that voice. Instead of this horrible thing that the listeners are listening to right now. So true. That cheap. sounds like poor guys. nails on the chalkboard. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. It's my Pretty voice. Much. I can't do anything about it. I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh. Anyways, we're going to have to wrap it up until next week. I have been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, Dave Burles Berlin.
1: Time for me to go finish Tiger King. Woo! See y'all next week. Get it. We
0: will have a wrap up featuring Dave and Tiger King. You'll know about it. Spoiler alert anybody that hasn't seen it. All the spoilers. Don't don't watch it. You have a week. Yeah. Zip it up and zip it out.
1: Zippity doodah.